when should the U.S. and Russia negotiate cybersecurity? And companies continue to struggle weeks after falling victim to the NotPetya malware attack. These stories and more coming up in the ISMG Security Report. Hello, I'm Eric Chabro. The administration is supportive of being tough on Russia, particularly uh, in putting these sanctions in place. That's White House Press Secretary Sarah Huckabee Sanders speaking over the weekend on ABC's News This Week. Legislation before Congress, which has broad bipartisan support enough to overturn a presidential veto, would sharply curtail the president's ability to suspend or terminate far-reaching sanctions to punish Russia for interfering in last fall's presidential election, as well as aggression toward its neighbors. Could passage of the sanctions bill foster better relations between the U.S. and Russia when cybersecurity in the wake of the Kremlin's meddling in the presidential election? For the moment, that seems highly unlikely, but not out of the realm of possibilities. I'll get to that in a moment. A few weeks back, if you recall, President Donald Trump tweeted that he and Russian President Vladimir Putin discussed forming, in Trump's words, an impenetrable cybersecurity unit so that the election hacking and many other negative things will be guarded. The idea of such cooperation in cyber brought quick criticism from Democrats and Republicans in Congress, and by the following day, Trump backed off that idea. Trump continues to question U.S. intelligence agencies' unanimous contention that Russia was behind cyber meddling in the 2016 election. Yet, the idea of cooperating with an adversary on cybersecurity isn't unheard of. It happened with China during the Obama administration. In 2015, as Chinese President Xi Jinping prepared for his first state visit to the United States, the White House was preparing sanctions against China for hacking into American businesses and stealing their intellectual property. In an article published last week in the Washington Post, then Homeland Security Undersecretary for Cybersecurity, Suzanne Spaulding wrote that President Xi dispatched senior advisors to fly to Washington to negotiate a way out, not wanting to mar the image on his arrival in the United States. U.S. and Chinese officials worked out an agreement that China for the first time agreed that it should not steal sensitive business information to benefit its commercial entities. Here is Paul Rosenzweig. He's a former senior Homeland Security policymaker. The entire U.S.-China dialogue now is based on a presidential-level agreement in which China agreed to stop economic cyber theft. And the data is a little wonky, but everybody seems to agree that they've more or less abided by it. On Russia, he added, That's where we should be getting to. That should be our first ask. An agreement, you stop, then we'll talk about other things that you're interested in. Before that happens, though, a lot of changes in attitudes must occur, not only in the Kremlin, but in the White House as well. Don't hold your breath. The sentiment Rosenzweig agrees with. Trying to figure out ways Russia and the U.S. can engage in cybersecurity remains a worthy goal, under the right circumstances. After all, the U.S. engaged the Soviet Union to limit the spread of nuclear weapons. But there must be conditions established to participate in such dialogue, identifying common interests, and with the Russians, we're not there yet. Here's Herbert Lin who served on President Obama's Cybersecurity Commission last year. Look, I, I still think there are things that we would be that would we could usefully talk to the Russians about. Um, I, as I say, I articulated two of them already. The two subjects include defining the vocabulary and concepts for cyber conflicts. For example, the U.S. and Russia don't necessarily agree on the definition of deterrence. They see deterrence, at least in some translations, as intimidation, which of course has a very different quality to it. The other topic, dealing with catalytic cyber conflict. That occurs when a third party tries to provoke two other parties, say the U.S. and Russia, into conflict. 
to the extent that we're talking about things where our interests are diametrically opposed, I think that is a stalemate, and we and I double Paul's pessimism about that, about the desirability of that. Just that I think it's always worthwhile trying to find things that you can talk about. It's a useful thing to be talking about, things where you have common interests. In the current political and cyber environment, identifying that common interest, well, it's not just there yet. When we return after this brief message, we'll hear from my ISMG colleagues, Marianne Kolbasak-McGee and Matthew Schwartz, about the lingering adverse impact of the NotPetya malware attack. Organizations that use these services, it's a big blow to their clinical workflow. Organizations need to be doing roll-top exercises. They need to figure out what is going to happen if they get hit this way. You're listening to the ISMG Security Report. ISMG's Global Summit Series will be taking place at the Marriott Marquis in New York on August 8th and 9th. Hear from subject matter experts like Randy Trezak of Carnegie Mellon on insider threat detection. Learn more about ransomware, endpoint detection, malware, and more. Visit events.ismg.io and register today. Companies can struggle for weeks after a ransomware attack, and the proof of that is coming as some publicly traded companies victimized by the NotPetya malware file financial statements with federal regulators. To discuss these hardships, I'm joined by two of my ISMG colleagues, Healthcare Info Security Executive Editor Marianne Kolbasak-McGee and Data Breach Today Executive Editor Matthew Schwartz. Welcome. Hi, Eric. Thanks, Eric. I'll start off with you, Marianne. You just wrote a story about companies struggling in the aftermath of NotPetya. Who are these companies and how are they being affected weeks after the ransomware attack? The piece I wrote looked at four companies. Uh, The one that seems to be struggling most these days that's having an impact on some of their customers is Nuance, which is a provider of medical transcription software. That company services some of the largest hospital systems in the country. And as a result of the company not being able to service some of these customers that use their medical transcription service, the company is expecting that their third and fourth quarterly results will be impacted. FedEx is also having similar issues in terms of servicing their customers. Their TNT Express International Courier service has been disrupted, and the result of that will also be negative fiscal 2018 results. Other companies that are struggling include pharmaceutical giant Merck and also the Danish shipping giant Maersk. Do we know how these companies are coping? Are they just stopping all services or are they just slower in delivering services? In the case of Nuance, they're, the company is trying to shift some of their medical transcription customers that were impacted to some of the other services that the company provides. For healthcare organizations that use these services, it's a big blow to their clinical workflow. And there's some hospital CIOs that are saying that if these healthcare organizations are disrupted in this way, they just might look for a service from some other vendor. Matt, how is the impact of NotPetya victims different from other ransomware attacks? First of all, it's important to note that we don't know if it was a ransomware attack. This may have been an attack bent on destruction. If so, if the intention was to cause chaos, mostly focused on Ukraine, and as we've also seen some parent companies that have subsidiaries in Ukraine, then the attack was incredibly successful. To clarify, you said this may not have been a ransomware attack. That's in part because it was kind of hard to pay the ransom? Yes. 
the malware lacked the capability for a victim to pay the ransom in a way that would indicate that they had paid it. Security experts continued to debate whether this was just a botched job, whether they rushed the code to market and it was much more virulent than they thought it might be and it got out of control. Or alternately, it may have been some kind of a psychological operation. For example, theoretically, by Russia, intended to mess with Ukraine. They made it look like ransomware, but in reality, it functioned like disk wiping malware. At the end of the day, that is what it did. It encrypted disks with no ability to decrypt them. How forthright have the victims of NotPetya been? Some companies have been very transparent about what they're doing. Maersk, for example, has been struggling to get its shipping capabilities up and running again. For at least a week, they couldn't let new ships dock in ports. Their systems just were compromised to the extent that they couldn't handle that. They've mostly come back. They've been very transparent. It's been a really interesting crisis management and crisis response from them. And they, in particular, have been lauded for their clear, timely, and regular communications to their customers. In some other cases, it's less clear how organizations have fared. You have the pharmaceutical giant Merck saying that nothing really bad has happened, but you also have chatter on Twitter that 75,000 machines were down even two weeks after the attack unfolded. The people's research was set back months and months. It's unclear what the final butcher's bill might be, if you will, in that case. Certainly in the Ukraine, though, it was extremely devastating. It affected numerous organizations and is going to take a huge bite out of many of their profits. What lessons can be drawn from the way these victimized companies responded to NetPetya? Well, for the healthcare industry, particularly the hospitals and the uh, healthcare organizations that actually service the patient, it's a big reminder again about the risks that their vendors present to them. If their vendors are affected by an attack like this, it can have pretty significant impact on the clinical workflow of these doctors and hospital organizations. You know, they need to ask questions of these vendors. How well prepared are you if something happens and our services potentially get disrupted. This needs to be built into their disaster recovery, business continuity plans as well for the hospitals, just depending on what the vendors plan to do. Matt? There have been two massive malware attacks, WannaCry and NotPetya. Every organization should be asking itself, if we get hit by one of these attacks tomorrow, and if they're using some capability we don't yet know about to spread, as we saw with WannaCry in particular, using a vulnerability in many versions of Windows in order to infect systems, and then you had with NotPetya some innovations that allowed it to spread once it got inside a network. Organizations need to be doing roll-stop exercises. They need to figure out what is going to happen if they get hit this way, and they need to work backwards from the kinds of capabilities they need to have in place so that they are not like Maersk. They're not like Merck. They're not still attempting to clean up weeks and weeks and weeks after this attack has unfolded. Well, thanks, Matt. Thanks, Marianne. Thanks, Eric. Thank you, Eric. You're listening to the ISMG Security Report on ISMG Radio. ISMG, your number one source for information security news. Finally, a shakeup at Sweden's transport agency is being traced to a two-year-old security breach. ISMG Security and Technology Editor Jeremy Kirk filed this report. Sweden is grappling with the fallout from a very sensitive data breach that occurred two years ago, but the scope has only recently trickled out in the last few days. It resulted in the prosecution of the former head of the transport agency and prompted deep questions over an outsourcing arrangement with IBM. There are differing accounts of what was exposed. 
but it indisputably included the country's driver's license database, including photos of everyone in the country and if a person was in a witness relocation program. The transport agency has sought to tamp down concerns, but it is admitted that the agency's director general took security shortcuts when overseeing a revamp of its IT infrastructure. That mistakenly allowed foreign contractors without proper security clearances to view the data. Contractors were based in the Czech Republic, Serbia, and Romania. The drip-fed details have been met with harsh criticism, including the light fine for the former Director General Marie Agren. There are lingering questions on how the exposure could affect Swedes. The transport agency signed an agreement with IBM in April 2015 to run its IT systems. Sometime after that agreement, Agren decided to abstain from three privacy and data protection laws, as well as internal information security guidance. The transport agency says it doesn't have any indication that the personal data was exposed beyond the contractors, but that's probably little consolation for someone in a witness relocation program. To that end, the agency addressed those people directly. It says the contract with IBM mandates that Big Blue comply with the provisions of the country's Personal Data Act and that the information is not supposed to be shared with unauthorized parties. News reports charge the exposure went far beyond just driver's license records and included personal details for Air Force pilots, people listed in police registers, personal details for military members in secret units, and details of government military vehicles. The transport agency has declined to detail what other sensitive information it holds. The agency's director general resigned in January, but it wasn't clear why. In June, she was fined about $8,500 for negligence without intent. Sweden is still dealing with the cleanup. Only by the end of the year does the country expect to have personnel with the right clearances handling the data. But the impacts and worries about the exposure will likely extend for years. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Jeremy Kirk. That's the ISMG Security Report. Our theme is by Ithaca Audio. I'm Eric Chabro. Catch you next time.